<laughs> Morning. Afternoon. Hey, everybody. You guys doing well? There's a lot of energy at 12, man. Good job. You guys went to brunch first, didn't you? You did. You went and got a little something, something. Feeling good. Um, thanks for being here. A couple things I wanted to mention. Um, so... Um, we in two weeks are celebrating Crosswalk 18, which is really exciting. But next week, I'm actually going to fly out to Chattanooga and celebrate Crosswalk 3, which doesn't sound nearly as cool, with Chattanooga, because they've been together for three years now, which is really amazing, man. God has put that community together. About four or 500 people meet every single week. So Pastor Mike is going to be um, taking on our fifth in-statement next week, so make sure you don't miss that. He will be preaching for us, and I've already, we've already had a chat about what he's talking about. It's going to be phenomenal. And the second thing I wanted to say, and I know this is early, but I want you to start thinking about Christmas right now, um, because we, we've made a decision and we hope it's okay. Sorry, my eyes twitching again. Um, we have made a decision and we hope it's okay. If you know, Christmas is on Sabbath this year on the 25th. It is on Sabbath. And I don't know if you know this, but Crosswalk Church doesn't just happen on a Saturday morning. Like we don't show up five minutes before you do and church just happens. There's literally a hundred volunteers every single week that serve to make this church happen every week. And so we were going back and forth on what we should do on the Christmas weekend. And we decided that we really wanna honor our teams and their families and our staff and their families by giving them a week off so that they can be together. So we are gonna be encouraging Christmas at home this week, this year. We want you guys to be able to, yeah, for sure. Um, we want you guys to be able to worship with your family and just be with your family. But this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna provide that, that day. We will be streaming, um, recorded like we did during the pandemic, but we've put together a program that I think will be really amazing that you can share with your family. It will include all of our campuses. So there'll be a little bit pieces from each one of our campuses and you'll get to know some people across the country a little bit more, but as well, we will um, produce this whole program for you. But um, you're not gonna hear me say this probably ever again, but don't come to church that day. Like stay home, stay home. And um, we really want to honor the people and the work that's happened throughout the pandemic, throughout all this time. And we thought, well, we can do that by just staying them home. If you want to go to church, there's tons of churches in the area. Feel free to go to church somewhere else. Come back in the new year to us eventually. But, um, but we're going to take that, that week off and we just want you to be home with your family. And, and Really, I got to tell you, I really feel like that honors the Sabbath for that, that moment as well so we can be with our family, especially when there's so many families in town and stuff. Anyway, that's what's going on. We're in a series called Love Well. Uh, we are going through our five in statements that we have here at Crosswalk Church. So I'm going to read them all through and then we'll be studying the fourth one today. So as you know, Crosswalk will be a community of belonging. This is where it begins with the inclusive gospel of Jesus Christ. He died for everyone, so everyone has access to his grace. Is it, is, it is extended to us all, no exceptions. Number two, Crosswalk will be a community where people learn and grow in an authentic relationship with God. This is our discipleship statement. So we talked about small groups and getting engaged in small groups, teaching, learning, discussions, interactions, growing together. That's what this particular end statement is all about. And if you haven't gotten involved in a small group yet, we're going to encourage that and continue to encourage that. With a church this size, 
it's impossible to find just, I mean, we're not all in community with a thousand people. It doesn't work that way. And so um, you need to find a small group to engage with if you can. Number three, we talked about this last week. Crosswalk will be relevant in the ways of living out, in living out the ways of Jesus in our place and time. That means that what we say has to make sense in your life and in our lives as well. Whether it's a culture that seeks to grow and to change, worship that hits home, a theology that is open to the Holy Spirit but rooted deeply in Scripture, we want to be relevant and living out the ways of Jesus in our place and time. Today we'll be talking about number four, which is Crosswalk will be a community that lives beyond herself by caring and advocating for the powerless, oppressed, and abandoned. So I'll come back to that one. And number five, Pastor Mike will take this on next week. Crosswalk will be a community that exemplifies servant leadership. And I believe that to be the most excellent <clears throat> form of leadership that there is. And it leads to a particular kind of excellence in the way that we do the work of God in this world too. So, um, so we'll be talking about that next week. But today, this is the one. Crosswalk will be a community that lives beyond herself by caring and advocating for the powerless, oppressed, and abandoned. And this is perhaps the most aspirational of all of the statements. It's also the hardest, right? To be a community of belonging, you know, it's hard, but we just have to open up our hearts, open up our arms and that sort of thing. But when it comes to advocating and caring for the powerless, oppressed, and abandoned, this one becomes hard. And when I began to realize that the gospel was not just about saving me, but the gospel was about not even just about saving everyone, but actually living in a world where there was equity, where there was justice, where there was compassion and mercy and healing. When I began to realize that, I began to read and just voraciously study as much as I could, recognizing that the gospel is beyond just, just for me. And I came across a book that is still one of my favorites to this day. It's by a man by the name of Shane Claiborne. He wrote a book called The Irresistible Revolution. And I think it's a powerful book. And he has this one statement in the book that has just captured my heart, which says, faith is not accepting the world as it is, but insisting on building the world God wants. And I think this is a powerful statement because it speaks to the full extent of the gospel and the missio dei, which is the mission of God. God did not just die for me, but for everyone. And that means we need to be working for not only the salvation, but for the care of everyone in the world. And when we talk about the Missio Dei, the mission of God, we have to start in one place. And there's a place, I, I speak on this a lot because I think we have to stay committed to this a lot. So I won't spend a great deal of time on it, but when Jesus went back to his own synagogue in the town of Nazareth, he was like, you know, a, a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He was a hometown boy, right? He shows up and the text says this, Luke, I'm reading from Luke 4. <clears throat> when, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual, so this means this is a church going guy. He went as usual to the synagogue on Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures, right? And like I said, I've spoken on this many times, but this is, the reason why I come back to that, to it is this is Jesus giving us a liturgy to live by. The word liturgy means the work of the people, right? We often use it as like the form of worship. What kind of liturgy do you run in your church? But the term liturgy literally means the work of the people. This is the mission of God. He is giving us the liturgy that we're to live our lives by. So the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was um, handed to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, 
And he began to read. And this is what he read. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released. that The blind will see that the oppressed will be set free. Now, this is important because there's four things happening here, right? Good news to the poor. It's easy to say, oh, he's talking about the good news of the gospel. Yes, maybe, but also good news to the poor sometimes is a sandwich, right? And good news to the poor sometimes is a shirt or it's a jacket or it's a tent to live in or it goes on. So we're really talking about tangible acts of compassion here. So you've got compassion. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives be released. That's mercy. Right? Mercy is different than justice in some respects. And this is the, this is the little anecdote I always say. There was a, a, a mother who came to Napoleon. He had just sentenced her son to death for something he had done. And she came and said, Napoleon, will you, will you set my son free? And he said, he said, that doesn't do justice to what your son did. And she said, I'm not asking for justice. I'm asking for mercy. Right? I don't know if Napoleon gave it or not. I have a tendency to doubt it. But that's the difference between mercy and justice. That you got healing, right? The blind will see. That one nobody has a problem with. And the oppressed will be set free. So there's justice, right? You're working for equity. You're working for equality. You're working for justice. And then he, there's this other caveat. There's this other piece of it on the end in Luke 4, 19, where it says, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Some texts say, and to declare the year of the Lord's favor. What it means is this is the gospel. God is for you, not against you. God loves you. He doesn't hate you. God wants to save you. He doesn't want to kill you, right? That's the important part. And then the text continues. It says, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. And this is where Luke gets a little like dramatic, which I really love. He says, and all eyes in the synagogue look at him intently. We don't get enough of this in scripture. Like this is good writing, just from an English standpoint. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. And what he said was pretty powerful. <clears throat> the scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. So he didn't say, this is the work that we're gonna do. He didn't say, you know, I've got a 15 point plan on how this is gonna work. Some of you who work in the corporate world are a little tired of 15 point plans, right? He didn't do that. What he said is, I'm compassion, I am mercy, I am justice, I am healing, and I am here. And I'm here for you right now. This was a powerful statement because it really laid the path for the early church. You see, the early Christians understood that this meant they were to be engaged in this work. And if you look at early Christian history, you know that every time a pandemic showed up, any time a plague showed up, Christians were there taking care of people. They were always there. They were the ones who put themselves in harm's way again and again and again. And the reason why they did it is because they understood the call of God. They understood the mission of the day. Healing was part of what they were supposed to do. People need to be healed. Let's go over there and let's heal them. People need justice over here. Let's go over there and be part of the justice process. People need compassion. Let's see what we can do to be compassionate. People need mercy. Let's see where we can advocate for mercy. But it didn't come from the New Testament. This didn't come from Jesus. Jesus read the Old Testament scripture. So this has been around for a long time. The Old Testament speaks a lot about these things. For instance, in Proverbs 3, 27 and 28, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's within your power to help them. This is important because it talks about the agency that you have. If you have the power to help somebody, you gotta help them. Right? Not everybody has the power to help everybody. But if you've been gifted with agency 
and you have agency, if you've been gifted with wealth and you have wealth, and I know you think, wait a second, easy, man. I don't have wealth. I have student loans. Um, like, I understand that. But in comparison to the way most people have lived throughout most, most of history, you have an incredible amount of wealth. Like, you know where your next meal is coming from. I mean, you might not know what restaurant it's coming from, but you know it's coming, right? You are definitely wealthy. That, that way in which you have been privileged, and I hope that's not such a trigger word for people, but you have been privileged by the grace of God to live in this society and to have what you have. How are you using that agency to help someone else? And then it goes on in 328 to say, if you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow, then I'll help you. Time is of the essence. If you can help, you need to help. And this is Proverbs, but you kind of expect that from Proverbs, right? You kind of expect Proverbs to give you these little anecdotes that like help you with your life. So let's go to Old, Old Testament. Let's go to Deuteronomy, right? Let's go to the book that nobody can spell right. Let's go to the book that when you start reading the Bible in January, by the end of January, you're at Deuteronomy and, it, and you bog down a little bit. Let's just own it, right? By the time you're there, you're like, oh, this is hard. By the time you get to numbers, you're out. Like, you're not doing it anymore. Like, maybe if I started with the New Testament, and you should have, because it would have got you through. Anyway, Deuteronomy says this. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor. Keep that in your head, right? Because we're going to revisit this a little bit. There will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I'm commanding you, commanding you, to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. The poor will always be here, but that does not mean we ignore them. Rather, it means that we help them and time again is of the essence. But if we're gonna talk about taking care of the poor, if we're gonna talk about caring for the widow and the orphan, if we're gonna talk about the Missio Dei, we have to go to the minor prophets because minor prophets were serious about this. So let's go to Zechariah. We don't quote Zechariah all that often. Then this message came to Zechariah from the Lord, last, um, the last book in the Old Testament, by the way. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. By the way, you start a sentence like that, you better listen to the second part of that sentence. It's not just this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord, who, by the way, commands heaven's armies. So you're like, oh, I should pay attention. Judge fairly, show mercy and kindness to one another. Do not oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor. Do not, do not scheme against one another. So that's pretty good. Minor prophets talked about that. But probably no minor prophet spoke more powerfully about this, or at least more offensively about this, than Amos. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Amos, but it, you should. It's a lot of fun. Especially Amos 4, verse 1, which says this. Listen to me, you fat cows of Samaria. Come on, you're going to read the rest of that sentence once it starts like that, right? This is, <laughs> Amos cracks me up. Um, listen to me, I just want to say it again. Listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and you who are always calling to your husbands, bring us another drink. This is like the real housewives of Samaria. <laughs> I think that's what was going on there. Right? They were definitely like engaged, but, but, the, but they had agency and would not step in to help. This one always gets me. 
You don't get a lot of insults, like direct insults in the Old Testament, but this one's pretty significant. However, it doesn't just stay in the Old Testament because obviously it shows up in the New Testament and it shows up in the words of Jesus as well. Not just when he talks about the Missio Dei, but also and probably most famously of all in Matthew 25. It's a text about judgment, but it also talks about how we take care of the poor. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. And Jesus does something really interesting here. He personalizes it. He says, for I was hungry and you fed me. For I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. Right? It's easy. I think the majority of people, and I would say probably every single one of us in this room, can intellectually assent to the fact that the poor should be taken care of somehow. Right? I think... We're good people. But Jesus says, yeah, it's one thing to think that and have it out there. Now let's take it and make it really personal. Let's make it really intimate. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. That's pretty important. And that text is, I think, overwhelming for us. But there's... There's a text in scripture that has always been, a text in the New Testament, in fact, in Matthew, in Matthew 26, that has always been a little difficult for me. Not so much for me, but I've had this thrown in my face before by people who don't really think that we should be engaged in this work as much as we are. And it's Matthew 26, 11, where Jesus says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And that's a little difficult because what is he saying? So it's important when we come across a text like this, what's important is that we look at the context and figure out what was really being said. Because this seems so much like in opposition to so many of the other things that Jesus said. And just so you know, I have had this quoted at me, like, well, we don't really do that because it's what we're to do is just focus on Jesus. That's what we're to do. We're not, we don't, that's what our church does. And I'm like, oh, but there's all this other stuff that I think we're commanded to do. And they're like, no, no, no. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 11, here's the context, right? The context is Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry. He's in this room and they're caring for each other. And this woman breaks open the, the oils and the spices that they had been keeping. And these oils and spices, this perfume was not cheap. I don't know if any of you have bought perfume lately, and I'm not talking about like CVS perfume, right? Like this, this perfume doesn't come in a spray bottle. It's the kind that comes in a nice vase, not even a vase, a vase, right? It has a stopper and you take it out and you just touch it. Cause like when my wife puts on perfume, she'll go like this and then walk through it. Like this is the stuff that's too expensive to do that. This is the stuff where you go, like, and it may stay for like 13 or 14 years in your medicine cabinet. Like at some point it becomes, you know, flammable. Um, um, this is more expensive than that. So the disciples see this happening and they say, they say to one another, they don't even say it to Jesus. They say to one another, why is she doing that? We should keep that. We should, say, we should sell it and, and make money and give it to the poor. Right? Good instinct, actually. Good instinct. But this is what Jesus says, and then we'll come back to it. Jesus, but Jesus, aware of what they were saying, replies, why do you criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. 
let's break this down for a moment. These disciples had been with Jesus for three years. They had been listening to him. They had been learning from him. Their deepest desire was to do his will in the world. They see this happening, and their first instinct is to care for the poor. That's the right instinct. That's the instinct that Jesus embedded in them. Like they weren't being cantankerous. They weren't being, you know, offensive in any way. They literally went, that's a lot of money. We could give that to the poor. It is absolutely the right instinct, especially for the fact that they had been with Jesus for so long. It's beautiful. Except Jesus was trying to do something else at that particular moment, right? This is what he was trying to do. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. He was trying to tell them, I'm not gonna be here much longer because I'm gonna sacrifice myself for you. So this, this particular sacrifice that was being made to him by this woman with the spices and this oil, like it's appropriate because I'm telling you what's about to happen to me. This is really, I think, why you can't use this text to say, the poor will always be with us, what are you gonna do? And if you go back to that Deuteronomy text, remember, it says, in this land, there will always be the poor, which doesn't say there will always be the poor. What you gonna do? It says there will always be the poor. Therefore, go and feed them, go take care of them, go do these things, right from Deuteronomy. This is something that we have been called to do and declared to do. By the way, there are 2,000 texts on taking care of the poor in the Old and New Testament. 2,000. Just the weight of that should make you pause and go, well, we should probably do something about this. So let's ask the question, how does Crosswalk enable compassion, mercy, healing, justice, and advocacy? And so let me give you the, I'll give you my compassion scale real quick. Some of you may have heard it before. It starts over here with sympathy. Sympathy is great. Somebody comes to you and says, I'm hungry. And you go, oh. That's all you do. That's all you, you don't have to do anything else to be sympathetic. Oh, you acknowledge it. Oh. The next step in that scale is empathy, right? Somebody comes to you and says, I'm hungry. And you go, oh, I've been hungry too. That's it, right? Um, you haven't done anything yet, but you've sympathized, recognized, that's good. You've empathized, I've been there. But then you need to move on to the next stage, which is compassion. The Greek word for it is splagnitsomai, my favorite Greek word just because it's fun to say. Splagnitsomai. It means a movement in the guts. It means it's a verb. You actually have to do something. Compassion is moving and doing something. So it is, I'm hungry. Oh, I've been hungry too. Let me make you a sandwich. See, pretty simple, but now you're there. Except there's one other step, and we mentioned this in our end statement, and the other step is advocacy, right? Advocacy is setting up systems where people don't have to be hungry anymore, where people can get the services that they need. This is expressed really beautifully in the story of the Good Samaritan, which you've all read before and you've all heard. Right, the Good Samaritan sees this man and, and breaks societal and religious and ritual protocols to pick this man up and take care of him. Picks him up. Maybe I should go back. If you don't know the story, a man gets beaten up on the side of the road. A few people pass him that you think would stop, religious people that you think would stop and help him. They don't. Samaritan, who's an enemy of this person, technically, walks in, says, I got to take care of him. Picks him up, puts him on his horse. Donkey or horse? I can't remember. Donkey. Seems like it'd be a donkey, right? 
For our storytelling purposes, it is a donkey today. If you go back to your text and it says horse, it's a horse. I just can't remember. Um, puts him on the donkey, takes him to the inn. An inn is a place where you would get care on the road, just so you know. So an inn could be organized as a hospital a bit. Takes him to the inn, says to the innkeeper, take care of this man. Gives him money to take care of this man. And then says, I've got to go. I will come back. And whatever costs he incurs, I will pay for. That's a system of advocacy right there. And that's what that man did. Right? He didn't just have compassion on him. He went the next step into advocacy, which is a big and important thing to do. And so when I got to Crosswalk, I wanted to make sure that we were working in an advocacy realm, that we weren't just stopping at compassion. Because there are incredibly compassionate people that have been at this church forever. You know who you are. You're wonderful people. But when I got to this church, one of the ways that they would express a lot of compassion is just giving money to people when they would show up at church and ask for money. The problem with that is that while you may get the person to the next step in whatever thing they're doing in their lives, that next step might not be a good step. And you also probably didn't give that person agency. You gave them money, but you didn't give them agency. You also didn't give them integrity. You didn't give them hope necessarily. What you did is you gave them money. So I said when I got here, hey, no more handing out cash to people after church. We're not doing that. Because you'd go into the parking lot and there would be always a few people asking for cash. And it sounds really heartless, and I get that. I understand that. And there were people in the church that were not 100% happy with me. And there were definitely underserved people outside that were definitely not happy with me because they were not getting handed $20 bills when they walked out of church. But there was a reason for it. See, I've read at least a couple. I've read more books on it than this, but there were two books that really informed my thinking on this. Um, the first one is called Toxic Charity, and the other one is called When Helping Hurts. And both of these books tackle the concept of, um, of the economies of charity that we set up that don't give people dignity, that actually create more problems in the world. Now, I can't stop anybody from giving anybody money. Just as a church organization, we weren't going to do that. But we were going to do something. But what we wanted to make sure is that we weren't just doing random acts of kindness. Because as good as those are, those have a tendency to be for us, not for the people that we're actually serving. See, I think for too long, churches have kind of lowered the drawbridge you know, church people have run out. They've done some good things in the community, whether the community needed it or not. And then they turned around, came back, drew the drawbridge back up, threw themselves a pizza party and said, aren't they lucky to have us? I don't think that's the way we do this kind of work. I don't think that brings us towards advocacy. While good things may happen, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the right things to have happen. When I was working in this world for the healthcare system, um, I, I was talking to a pastor in, in a particular community, and he said, listen, we just gave away 700 pairs of shoes. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. He's like, yeah, they were new shoes. I was like, oh, that's great. And then I said, did they need them? And he said, what? And I said, did they need the shoes? Is that why you guys chose shoes? And he's like, no, just somebody gave us shoes, so we gave the shoes away. And he's like, they took them all. And I said, yeah, they were new. I'd take them too. In fact, do you have any left? The point being, I'm glad they gave away shoes. I'm not like, it's great, but is it what people needed? So what we did is we took our time. We did literally hundreds of surveys in a one mile radius around here at schools, at trailer parks, at different areas, at apartment buildings, some places they wouldn't let us come in and do surveys, but we did surveys to find out what they needed because we wanted to make an impact. We didn't just want to do one good thing. We wanted it to be sustainable and we wanted to partner with other organizations. So for instance, pretty quickly, we took off the table that we were going to be a place that gives 
massive amounts of food out. The reason why we're not gonna do that is because there's an organization called Helping Hands that does that every single day to the tune of hundreds of thousands of pounds of food a week. They serve like 3,700 families in the area. So why would we have a little food pantry when they have a massive food pantry? Let's give to that organization and help them do what they do. And when we do something, let's call them in to help us, right? We, we don't do housing. Because there are organizations, I sit on the board of Inland Housing Solutions, which is a phenomenal organization run by a phenomenal guy who's a church member here. And he, um, Jeff Little is his name, and he's phenomenal at the way that they can rehouse people really quickly. They're so good at it. So why would we take that on when we can work with that organization? And when somebody donates a house full of furniture, we call Inland Housing Solutions and we take it to them because they're gonna use it in ways that we can't. Like, why would we do certain things? But we wanted to find out where our niche was. What is it that we should be doing? And after, after we looked and it took us a long time to find our place and there was so much Holy Spirit work that was done, so much Holy Spirit collaborations that happened and so much Holy Spirit, so many Holy Spirit led people. What we realized is it's very difficult to get free medical care in the evenings in this area. Now you're like, what? There's all these hospitals. One of the things we don't want to do is we don't want people just to go to the ER in any hospital to get relatively low hanging fruit kind of care. That's not the way to say that, but to get relatively easy care, you don't want them to have to go to the ED. It jams up our healthcare systems and the cost of an emergency room is exorbitant as opposed to a free clinic where we can do it. So we partnered with Cornerstone Clinic, which is a federally insured free clinic. They were working in San Bernardino, I think on D Street on Wednesday night. We asked them if they would come and do it here on Thursday nights. And that began our Thursday night clinic that started with just medical. And then we partnered with Becky Matico and her team who had been feeding down at a, a thrift store for a while. They came over here and they began to feed. So the feeding program began to be a, um, began to be kind of a feeding program to the medical clinic. Let's put it that way. So we'd serve food and then have medical clinic. And then one of the lawyers in our community, one of the attorneys in our community said, you know, I've served the church in lots of different capacity, but never as a lawyer. What can I do to serve as a lawyer? And we said, we don't know. And so we called up everybody to see how we could put a free legal clinic together. And we put a free legal clinic together. And what I'm really excited about is that we've been working with another organization and we're gonna have a free dental clinic when we start back up in 2022. And there'll be, I think, three or four um, chairs where they're gonna do actual dental work, like for real dental work, which is really exciting. Um, we had to stop a lot of this, obviously, during COVID. We haven't gotten it all back up and running because there's regulations and that sort of thing. With the dental clinic, there's a lot of stuff we need to do. But this is how Crosswalk found its space. And before the pandemic, we were feeding about 100, 120 homeless people every single week. And we were serving many, many people in our clinics. And there was physical therapy was there. And we had orthotics and prosthetics. They called it United Feet, where they would wash people's feet. And I literally saw them like wash people's feet, realize there was something wrong with their feet. Get ortho We had 200 pairs of orthotic shoes. They would then work the shoes and the soles until I saw people come in in wheelchairs and leave that night walking because they had gotten the kind of shoes that they needed. Phenomenal work, all volunteer oriented. So cool. This is where we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. Every one of our campuses has some sort of work that they do. It doesn't all look the same. In Portland, they work with PAX, which is, a, um, which is a, I think, a huge thrift store they work with up there and they deliver lots of stuff. Um, Chattanooga works with food banks and they've just been a huge blessing to the food banks in the area. Every single one of our communities, I think Foothills works with a, a uh, battered woman shelter. Every single one of our communities does something 
to make sure that they're engaged in the community. And it's something that's sustainable, it's something that's partnerable, and it's something that fills an actual gap. You see, we do this work because of the imperative of Scripture and Jesus' words to us, 2,000 texts. And I probably don't talk about it enough of what we do because I don't want it to be like an advertising point of look at us, look how good we're doing, look how much good we're doing in the world. We are supposed to be doing this work. We shouldn't be patting ourselves in the back. And I feel this about so many things. And this came from a long time ago, certainly before I got to Crosswalk. I was on Twitter and I saw this pastor who like had his arm around somebody and he said, this is my homeless friend so-and-so. And that just hit me the wrong way because I thought there's two problems I've got here, or maybe three, maybe four. I got a bunch of problems with this. The first one being, why is that his name? My homeless friend. Number two, if you're his friend, why is he still homeless? Now there's lots of reasons why people are homeless. People choose it, some don't, some do. It's complicated, it's a complicated world to work in. But that just hit me wrong. And, it, and people are like, oh, praise God, that's so great, da, da, da. And I, that bugged me because I don't think we should get a cookie for loving people because that's what God has called us to do. Every day, in season, out of season. And that's why I don't think that we should ever pat ourselves on the back for saying, oh, look, I love even this group of people or that group of people. I think we love people because Scripture overwhelmingly tells us we are to love people, whoever they are, wherever they are. And if we, if we think we're special because we figured out to love hard people to love, we're not special. We're just doing the call that God has given us in the world. So maybe I should talk about it more, but I'll tell you this, our salvation, our God, our Jesus compels us to love well. So that's how we do it here at Crosswalk Redlands. And I don't know how you do it in your life, but you're always welcome to come and serve on a Thursday night. We're, we're feeding right now every Thursday night. Our clinic should start up at the beginning of the, the new year. And then hopefully the dental clinic will kick in pretty soon after that. We're really excited about this, but what we're more excited about is you thinking about how can you engage them in the Missio Day in your life? whether it's through Crosswalk Church or other organizations that you work with or something very specific to what you believe God has called you to do, you have to be doing this work. Crosswalk will be a church that lives beyond herself by caring and advocating for those who need it. If you're here, that has to be a value that you have. And if you read scripture, you can't miss it unless you're taking a black pen and marking a huge chunk of scripture out so you don't become uncomfortable. I don't say this to guilt anybody. God's gonna compel you and God is going to convict you in the way that you should go. But I say this because we can't be a church if we're not engaged in this work. Like we're just not an expression of the Christian faith if we're not doing this work. And we're gonna be that. We're gonna be the best expression of Christ's love to the world that we can be. We won't get it right, we'll make mistakes, it'll be awkward and clumsy at times, but we're gonna continue on because this is what God has called us to do. You can always go to our website, sign up to volunteer and then jump in. We'll try and make it easy, the entrance for this to be easy for you.
But whether it's here or whether it's somewhere else, you got to do it. It's an imperative. The Lord of the armies of heaven has said this is what we do. So that's what we have to do. Let's bow our heads today. Jesus, thank you for being that God. Thank you for being, thank you for showing us what love really is by the way that you healed and showed compassion, by the way that you showed mercy, the way that you brought justice into the world, and by the way that you expressed how much God loves us by coming down and being love for us. Lord, as we say here, everything incarnates and you incarnated those things that the Isaiah scriptures tell us about. So Lord, as we sing this last song, open up our hearts, give us opportunities to serve. And thank you for creating this community of belonging that will live beyond herself. In your name I pray, amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.